Amen. Amen. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, a piece of the Bible we've talked through a couple of times this month. Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and in him. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. Um, it's probably not overstating it to say that Jesus is the absolute center of everything for Christians. I mean, we take his name. We're Christians. We're little Christ. We're imitators of Christ. We're people who embody Christ. Everything for us rises and falls on Jesus. And as a church, we emphasize Jesus a lot. I mean, we suppose all churches ought to emphasize Jesus for us. He's, he's really at the absolute center of what we talk about, of what we proclaim, and certainly what we do and, and the person to whom we listen. I mean, it's all about Jesus. And for the last four or five weeks, we've been talking about some high-level doctrines concerning Jesus and, and how to apply those doctrines in real life. Because doctrine without application is just sort of intellectual um, muscle flexing. We really want to be people who live differently, not just people who think more or think differently. We really want our faith to be embodied. So a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about the incarnation of Jesus. What does it mean that God became a human? And then we talked about the homoousis, the idea that Jesus is of the same stuff as God the Father, that the Holy Spirit is of the same stuff as God the Son and God the Father. Then we talked about the hypostatic union, that Christ is fully God and fully man, and what it means for him to have those two natures together in one person. And then last week, we talked about Jesus recapitulating all of human history, basically showing you and I how it should have gone if we'd done things with his help and for his glory. And today, which is the last in this series, uh, looking at these high doctrines, we're, we're going to talk about Jesus as the perfect image of God. Now, the image of God, that language is really important to us here around Westwinds. Um, we're told in Genesis 1, I'll read it in a minute here, that human beings are made in the image and likeness of our creator. And that word image can also be translated shadow. So if you've been around Westwinds for a while and you heard us talk about shadowing God, or we say we're here to shadow God, build the church and heal the world, that's where that comes from. So, so this whole imagery language is, is really critical to us as a church, particularly as it centers on Jesus. And, and in the ancient world, to say that someone was in the image of God was actually not a distinctly Hebrew term. Like it wasn't just the biblical peoples that talked about being made in the image of God. In fact, all ancient Sumerian, Mesopotamian, Akkadian peoples, they all used that language to refer only to their kings. So like the Pharaoh was made in the image of God and uh, the king of Mesopotamia was made in the in image of God and all, the king of the Ugarites was made in the image of God. And that, what they meant by that was that they were like, they were divine. Caesar thought he was divine. Pharaoh thought he was divine. All these guys thought that they were divine, but only the Hebrew people said that it's not our king that's made in the image of God. It's, it's everybody. They democratized spirituality. They made everybody a human being like God. And that's super critical. Because that doesn't mean that there's a, a class of superior beings here on earth. Kings, governors, mayors, and then the rest of us schmucks down below. It means everybody, everybody has within them the spark of God's presence and authority. And that's what I want to talk about today. What does it mean that Jesus was the perfect image of God? And, and how 
can you and I, as imperfect images of God, learn from Jesus how to operate in our authority? That's the critical issue, authority. Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Now there's lots here to unpack. But our topic for today concerns specifically authority. Authority. Jesus, as the perfect image of God, perfectly used his authority. How about us? How are we doing so you never forget, to say that God made you in his image means God intends for you to rule and reign over his creation like him. Human beings are the crowning achievement of God's created world. That means we got, we got some stuff that we're supposed to take care of. We got some stuff that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be in charge. But we get really nervous about that. Like, some of us don't want to be in charge at all. Oh, no, no, I, little, little old me, I could never do that. I'm not smart enough to do that. I, no, 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 uh, no, thank you. Some of us love to be in charge. I'll do it. I'll take care of it. And among those who love to be in charge, there are those who do it really well. And then there are those who don't do it so well. And then there are those who absolutely abuse their authority. So for you and I, we, we got to figure out what it means not to be afraid of our authority, but instead to embrace it, to accept it. Because we're told repeatedly in the Bible that, that we will reign with Christ. Revelation chapter 5, for example, tells us that we're kings and priests that will rule and reign with God for eternity. Jesus said, all authority is in heaven and earth has been given to me, and so now I pass it on to you. I mean, Jesus, Jesus was really clear that whatever he gets from the Father, he passes to you and I. If he's supposed to rule, we're supposed to rule. Timothy makes that clear. 1 Corinthians makes that clear. I mean, there's about 10 or 12 different scriptures in the New Testament that make it really clear that this ruling is essential practice for Christians. So, so we got to figure out how we accept that instead of run away from it. And we got to figure out how to do it well, meaning according to God's understanding of good, healthy rule, not somebody else's. And, and, and I'm, I'm really concerned um, that, that we're uncomfortable and, and uncomfortable to a damaging degree with the idea of, of rule. We, we just don't want to lead. Like, maybe you had a similar experience to me. I, I was at a lot of the shopping malls locally, you know, in, in preparation for Christmas time. I saw a lot of experiences with, with parents and their kids. One, one particular one stood out. I was in, in Walmart um, many times. <laughs> Sorry, family, to find out where I got your Christmas gifts, but there you go. If you, if you were a better family, you'd get better gifts. But, I was, in, I was in Walmart, and, and uh, there was a kid there, a little kid, about this big, with his mom, and he kept kicking his mom in the shins and pulling stuff off the shelves, and he was just out of control, you know? And the mom said, what am I going to do with him? I don't know what to do with him. Now, I tell you, um, if I had behaved like that, my very godly father would have drop-kicked me into next New Year uh, because he understood that he has a authority over his kid. He has a responsibility to take care of his kid. Clearly, we're not advocating beating up your children unless you want them to grow up into absolutely perfect masculine specimens of integrity and intellect. But I mean, that was really funny. Uh, 
But, but the point being, you, you, you've got authority. The world is worse if you abdicate your authority. Nobody else is going to discipline your kid. Nobody else is going to train your employee. Nobody else is going to look after what's yours. You got a family, you got a home, you got a job, you got a network of friends and associates. You, you got stuff that's just yours. If you don't take care of it, if you don't exert influence over it, if you don't cultivate it, it's going to go sideways. To the detriment not only of you, and not only the rest of us who want to shop at Walmart in peace, but to the detriment of the person over whom you've had authority. I mean, think about it, like, take an example from sports. A, a great coach will see a player doing something incorrect, and, and they'll correct them. You know, take a, a high school basketball player that doesn't know how to play defense, doesn't box out, doesn't get any rebounds. A great coach will come alongside and say, here's how you box out. You got to get in this position. You got to keep your check away. doesn't matter if he's a foot taller than you. If you know how to box out properly, you'll get the rebound. That, that player learns, makes adjustments, adapts. All of a sudden, their stats go up, and they feel like a million bucks. Because the person that had authority over them used that authority to help them flourish. Think of the obverse example. If their coach didn't use their authority, they see this poor schmuck getting absolutely destroyed on the court. They're lazy. Coach doesn't say anything, doesn't do anything, just sort of watches. You think that kid's any happier still being bad at basketball? He's not playing basketball because he hates it. He's playing basketball because he loves it. He'd love it more if he was better. He'd be better if he had a good coach. That's why your authority is so important to the people around you. And, and so we got to become comfortable with it. Now, in Genesis, this authority, this dominion, the same word, rule, authority, dominion, they're, they're all part of this Hebrew word, uh, rada. I don't think I'm quite pronouncing that correctly, but you'll forgive me if my ancient Hebrew is a little rusty. Rada. This rada, first and foremost, includes bringing wise order to the world. Remember, in Genesis, we're told that the Garden of Eden is, is this little hillock, this one tiny area within untamed wilderness. And Adam and Eve are told to fill the earth and subdue it, meaning expand uh, the borders of Eden outwards and bring order to the midst of chaos. Well, those are the first two clues in how we're supposed to use our authority. As people, we bring order to chaos and we expand the borders of our influence. Now, there's a lot of chaos out there. And we can't just wait for somebody else to set it straight. The chaos in your home is your responsibility to fix. The chaos in your workplace is your responsibility to fix. The chaos in your mind, the chaos in your heart, in your spirit, it's your responsibility to fix it. God gave you the authority to fix it, and God gave you the responsibility to fix it. How's that going? Everybody loving online school so far? Everybody loving the endless Zoom staff meetings at work so far? No, it's a holy hot mess out there. And you know who's going to fix it? Nobody. Unless it's you. Who's going to fix online learning in your home? Just you. No, no point talking about how bad it sucks. It sucks for everybody. It's not like the teachers like it. Students don't like it. I'm not sure there's a human alive that thinks it's a great idea. So who's going to fix it? Just you. How about work? How about church? Who's going to fix it? Just 
you. You are the one that has agency, authority, and responsibility for your own life. Stop stepping back and waiting for somebody else to fix a problem that only you see. God gave you wisdom and insight and clarity to rule. Be a king. Be a queen. Queens don't sit back and watch. They fix and resolve problems, bringing order to the chaos. Now, some people have already brought order to chaos, and they've done it poorly. In that case, part of our God-given mandate is to dismantle the malfunctioning order and build something better. Now, there's a lot about Christianity that I think has gotten malformed. And you know what? Right now, in the great shakeup of the apocalypse that apparently we're all going to live through, there's a pretty good chance for us to correctly and more biblically form what it means to be faithful followers of Jesus. And maybe while we're all sad that we can't gather in the same numbers that we used to be and, and, and come together in the same way that used to be, we all also ought to be asking what it means now that we are forced to be distributed all over the country, all over the planet. We are all of us equipped and empowered, called by God to be missionaries to heal the world, not, not just people who get together on Sunday for club. So part of our ruling is dismantling malformed order and putting it back a better way. Isn't that what Jesus did? I mean, if he's the perfect image of God, shouldn't we look for him for an example? I mean, um, think about how people followed the rules prior to Jesus. Systemizing and legalizing all the do's and don'ts. And one of Jesus' favorite sayings was, you've heard it said, but I say to you, if you look at another man hatefully, you've already murdered him in your heart. So stop checking the box about how good you are and start analyzing what's going on in your heart and find a better way to live. That's wisdom. That's bringing order to the chaos in the human heart. Ruling means bringing wise order to creation. Ruling means expanding the border of Eden, expanding the border of your influence. Now, you know wherever you go, you have influence. I mean, the way you talk influences the people around you. If you got love in your heart, genuine peace in your heart, it's going to pour out of your mouth. That's Proverbs, that's Psalms, that's the New Testament, that's the Bible, man. The things in you come out. They come out. If, if deep down inside... You, you think everybody else is stupid, that's coming out. Now, you might think you're getting away with it. You never really said it. That guy doesn't know I think he's an idiot. Oh, that guy knows. He's just too polite to tell you what a jerk you are. So you got to purify what's inside of you and then seek to expand the borders of your influence. Because, you know, there's a lot of nasty people out there. There's a lot of power-hungry people out there. There's a lot of abusive, subversive, controlling people out there. And their influence just keeps expanding. They're the ones clogging up our news feeds. They're the ones clogging up the headlines. We've got bombings on Christmas Day in Nashville. You know what? For every act of evil that occurs out there, we must have acts of love and justice, service, and righteousness pouring out of here. You've got to expand the good things that God has entrusted to you to countermand all the garbage that the ding-dongs are doing out there. 
Because you're not called to sit back and watch and go, oh, geez, I can't believe somebody did that bad thing over there. You are called to be a response to the world's evil. You're called to rule, to have dominion, to have authority. I mean, you've got to do something, man. You have to be active in the redemption of the world. Third thing that dominion means, that rule means, is to bring together the resources of creation. Like Adam and Eve bring together the birds and the fish and the things that crawl all over the land. And even the word for, for rule, that word rada, it's the same word that you use if you're going to gather honey. You're going to break off a honeycomb so that you can make drinks or you can make desserts or make sweets. It's the same word that you use to talk about pressing grapes in a wine press. Where you're trampling the grapes to make them wine. And the idea behind it is that you cooperate with what already exists. Like you, you use what's out there. You, you bring it together. Like so every time you bake, you're bringing together the resources of creation. God makes the grain. You get the flour. You add the sugar. I don't know how baking works, but voila, I get fat. I mean, that's the... Every time you, you, you write something... Every time you create something, you're bringing together the resources of creation. When you connect people with organizations that can help them, when you connect employers with potential employees you, you, so you can help them, you're, you're bringing together the resources of creation. That's part of what God has called you to do, to look around and see what things should go together and bring them together. Because again, if you're called to rule, if you're called to have dominion, if you're called to reign with Christ, which you are, then you gotta do something. And this is one of the somethings you gotta do. Bring together the resources of creation. And last but not least, the fourth thing, fourth thing that it means to rule means to release human potential. See, a good king, a good ruler, rules not for their own benefit but for the benefit of everybody else. But I mean, think about King Jesus. How did he rule? Oh, totally backwards, right? His disciples are talking about who's going to be the greatest in heaven. Jesus is washing their feet. They're talking about who's going to have the most authority, the most power, the most grandeur in heaven while Jesus is sacrificing his life for them. You want to be greatest? You got to become the servant of all. Jesus leads with service, with self-sacrifice, and with love. And you and I, as people made in his image, that's how we ought to lead too. And in the book of uh, Ezekiel, is it Ezekiel? Ezekiel or Exodus? Let me see. I'll just check my notes. In Exodus, there we go. Exodus 34, God criticizes Israel's leaders because they are shepherds who look after their own interests and look after their own opportunities and fail to look after their sheep tenderly. Now, he's not criticizing actual shepherds. 
He's not criticizing people out there with farm animals. He's criticizing the leaders, saying, you're supposed to be like a shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A good shepherd lays down in front of the door of the sheep pen so that no wolves can sneak in and attack the sheep when they're not looking. A good shepherd is willing to give up everything that he cares about so the people around him will flourish. That's what you and I are supposed to do. We are supposed to lay down our own preferences, our own desires, our own wants for the people around us so that they grow, they're optimized, they flourish. Isn't that what every good dad wants to do? Isn't that what every great mom wants to do? Isn't that what every teacher wants to do? You want to see the people around you grow. If you've got elderly parents, you want your elderly parents to grow. You don't want them to give up. You don't want them to just keep breathing. You want them to find new passion, new interests. You want them to resource and mentor the people who are around them and younger. You want your, your parents to be vitalized in their ripe older age. And that's why I like this language of unlocking un, un, or, or releasing human potential. It's because it means there's something in the people around you that's, that's locked up. And you can do something to unlock it. A kind word will unlock it. An affirmation about a gift that you already see inside of them will unlock it. An encouragement will unlock it. The point being, you can say and do things that will unlock the hearts of the people around you so that they grow. Or you can not. Or you can say something that will lock them up even tighter. And sadly, when we don't think about it, when we don't do it on purpose, what we usually accidentally do is speak words of doom, condemnation, restriction, and shame. Enough of that garbage. See, friends, God made this world, this big, beautiful blue marble. And he thought, who, who should I give it to Who's going to take care of it? And you're his best option. He, he had this, this family, these kids. He said, this is, a, this is a precious family. Who should I give it to? It's you. He gave them to you. He's, he's got this church, such a great church. Who should I give it to? Give it to you. And now the question is, what will you do with all that God has given to you? How will you draw together the resources available in your life? So I'm going to make the assumption, the very generous assumption, that you will draw them together. So my question for you today is, how? What, what's your plan? How are you going to bring all the things together? How will you expand the borders of your influence? How are you going to become more influential so that the people around you grow so that the positivity, the generosity, the gratitude around you grows. So that the creativity, so that the intellect, so, so that the knowledge and understanding that you have grows. How will you 
release the potential in the people around you. See, this is what it means to be a human being walking in the image of God. Jesus showed us how it works. And now that we've got an example, and now that we've got his spirit energizing and animating us, it's up to us to answer the big questions. How are you going to make it work? Because the only difference that matters is the difference in the way you live. Not just the difference in the way you feel, not just the difference in the way you think, but in the way you live. So how will you bring order to chaos? How will you expand your influence? How are you going to bring stuff together? And how are you going to love and serve and sacrifice yourself for the people God has entrusted to you? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the example that you provided, the ministry that you modeled for us, the way you lived out the Father's mission. You know, man, we, we realize we got some growing up to do. We confess, God, we, we've been sitting around for too long. You know, we, we got bopped in the head by 2020, and we're just now coming to our senses. So, Lord, help us get clear and get focused on what is our part to do the areas over which we have authority and how we can use the authority you've entrusted to us in godly ways so we can heal the world. Because that's what we want. We're your people, called by your name. And so we want to behave and believe in your truth. Help us, Lord. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.